Let's open up with a little bit of Bible trivia. Anybody like Bible trivia? All right, so like, please don't call me. I won't call anybody out. But, but Bible trivia. Of, of who is this verse speaking? Who is this verse speaking? It says, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. So according to this verse, we're asking who was the, the greatest king? Other than the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, who was the, the greatest king? And some of us might say, David, right? Anybody? Some of us maybe would say, okay, or, or Solomon, or Hezekiah. But the king we're talking about here, if you've cheated on the front of your river guides, is, is Josiah. And that verse is 2 Kings 23. 25, the the greatest king according to this scripture. Today we begin a a teaching series on the reign of King Josiah. We're calling it by the book. Now, anybody in here want greatness with your life? Just no shame, right? Who wants who wants greatness with your life? Raise your hand. You, You okay, you're all about greatness in your life. I mean, I do. I want my life to mean something. I want to do great things. I want to be great in the eyes of the Lord. People move to this city because of a desire for, for great things. We have the greatest schools in the world, students, right? We got the greatest schools in the world. We got the greatest hospitals in the world. Some of the greatest research comes out of this city. Great technological advances come out of this city. I know we have the greatest teams in the world, right? Others of you, you, you say, I want to be a great mom. I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great friend. I want to be a great neighbor. I want to be the greatest in my field, and you should, right? According to Colossians chapter 3, 23, scriptures say, whatever you do, work heartily as unto who? Unto the, the Lord, right? And so we should really do everything that we do to the best of our ability in a way that would honor the Lord. Now, as you read here in, in 2 Kings 23, 25 about Josiah, what was it that sets him apart? What was it that makes him the greatest of the kings? It says that he turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to the law of Moses. So what set Josiah apart? Was it that he loved the Lord more than anybody else? Was it that he obeyed the law better than anybody else? Was it that we, we see the extreme of how good he was and, 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 and how bad he was prior to that. Is, is that it? No, in fact, there wasn't a big extreme change in his life, externally speaking. He was, he was walking pretty close to God from a young age. What made Josiah great, according to this verse, is that he turned to the Lord with all of his heart, his soul, his might, according to the law. The, the, the Bible. So look at 2 Kings 23, 25 again. His greatness came from that he turned to the Lord. And how did he turn to the Lord? With every ounce of his being. So he didn't necessarily love the Lord more. He didn't necessarily follow the Lord better. There wasn't necessarily this extreme turnaround. It wasn't even, as, as you go forward in history, it wasn't even necessarily the, the great uh, uh, change that he affected with his life in the grand scheme of things. According to this verse, Josiah was great because of his response to the word of God. 
how we respond to the word of, of God. That, that he got a hold of the book, or should we say the, the book got a hold of him. And according to God's measure for greatness, this guy was great. And listen, this goes for every single one of us in, in this room. That in the eyes of the Lord, greatness comes when you live a life by the book. Now in the eyes of our world, we, we measure success by all kinds of things, don't we? Dollar signs, letters after your name, a, a list of uh, accomplishments, how your kids turn out. We, we measure success by all kinds uh, of things. But God says it's, it's by the book and how your heart responds when it comes up against the book. That the book is all up in you and you're all up in the, the book. God says, show me a a person who is a man of the book, a woman of the book, and that is greatness, according to God. I'm praying that this morning, as we start to look at the life of Josiah, that he would shift in our hearts, in our minds, our attention to what is actual greatness. And as you read in the scripture this idea of success, this idea of prosperity, you cannot deny that it is linked directly to your life and the word of God in your life. So let me give you a couple of verses. Joshua 1.8, very familiar, amazing passage. It says, this book, the scriptures, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then, listen, for for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That's where the success comes from. Psalm chapter 1 Uh, Verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates, there it is again, day and night. He is like a tree planted against streams of water that yields fruit when it's fruit season and his leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers, right? Being tied to the word of God leads to prosperity. You're like a tree that never dries up because you're just, you got the water source right beside you. The point is that prosperity, success in the eyes of the Lord is when you live a life in accordance with the book. Now, could this be true of you? Are you a woman of the book? Are you a a, a man of the book? Where the Bible is this close companion to you. And if anything is abundantly clear about American Christianity, it is that we are biblically illiterate. We're just biblically illiterate. We could recite, most of us, the narrative of our most recent Netflix muse, but we could probably not recite the narrative of the Old Testament. Just real simple sweeping overview. We could probably tell you blow by blow what happened at the Pats game on Sunday. We could probably even tell you what our favorite sports commentators on on, on ESPN have to say about it. But could we go blow by blow with, here's what God has done throughout history. I mean, did you see what he did? Did you see that move right there? God did a little spin move. He parted the water. It was amazing, right? 
It's a sad assessment of Christianity, especially considering that we have people all over the world today who would give a hand for this book, who take shots to come together to do what we're doing here for the reading of the word and to be together with other people. Now, is my assessment wrong? I think we probably get that. We've heard it before. Yeah, I agree. Yep, uh-huh. That's true. But are we going to do anything about it? It's one thing to sit here and say, yeah, that's right. We can't read the Bible. The other thing is, are we going to go try to read the Bible? Try to, try to get into the book? God, please, break us of this insanity. Now, let's get into Josiah's life a little bit. Second Kings chapter 22, the chapter before what we were reading. Verses 1 through 13 is our scripture today. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles provided. If you didn't grab on, one on your way in, you can grab one on your way out. If you don't have one at home that you can dust off, please take that home. We really want you to have a copy of God's Word. But 2 Kings chapter 22, 1 through 13. And we're going to spend a few weeks tracing Josiah's life. And while we trace his life, we're going to learn a lot about this book, like why can we even trust this book? I mean, how do I know that this is, this is truth? We're going to look at, how, okay, how do I get into the book and actually study it? And then when I read things that kind of rub or are difficult or hard to understand, how do I respond to it? And we're going to spend some, some time looking at that. But today I just want to get into just the, the core of this guy's life and, and just kind of jump in that way. And, and so before we read about the life of Josiah, I want to help you just kind of see where this fits into the storyline of uh, the Old Testament narratives. You ever felt like you have a bunch of Bible stories in your head from childhood, you know, or somebody with a felt board said, here's Jesus and here's the little children. And you got all these Bible stories, but you just can't piece them together. Anybody? I remember I was like 18 years old, and I said, I have Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Paul. I, I just didn't know. And, and, and I want to help kind of piece it together a little bit. And when you can start to piece the Bible together, it is a huge help in understanding the, the, the Scriptures. So let me, let me show you where Josiah lands in, in this mix. And I'm just going to give you some, some very rough numbers here. But let's go back 2000 B.C., 2000 but before Christ. We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God makes these promises to them, this covenant to them. He brings them out of Ur of the, the Chaldees, and, and he brings them towards the, the promised land. You know this? And then they enter into Egypt, into slavery, for 400 years. So that happens in that, that period there. Then we hit about 1500 B.C., and, and God raises up this man, Moses, to bring God's people out of Egypt. And they come out of Egypt by the miraculous parting of the sea, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years until they arrived to the edge of the promised land and Moses hands off the reins to this guy Joshua right and uh, great name by the way and and so Joshua now takes the reign and, and, and then we enter into this 400 year period of the judges where a, a series of judges will lead God's people that they enter into this really awful cycle of rebellion and they call out to God and God brings a judge to help them and to save them and they get comfortable, and they rebel again. It's just a cycle over and over and over again. That's the period of the judges. And then we get to about 1,000 B.C., and the people say, okay, enough of this judges business. We want a, a king. 
And God was supposed to be the king for them. God is the king. We want a king, right? And this begins the era of the kings. And so he gives them king who? King Saul, right? He's head taller than than everybody. I mean, he's this great, strong, good-looking, great warrior. And everybody says, that's the kind of king we want. And he fails them miserably. And so he says, okay, let me give you the right kind of king. He gives them this little boy named David, right? And this great little boy named David. David. And so we go from Saul to David and then to Solomon. And this is called the United Kingdom, right? This is the United Kingdom where God's kingdom is, is united. But then because of the sins of Solomon, we have a fracture. We have a split in, in, in the kingdom and the kingdom is divided. And, and rather than Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, sitting on the throne as expected, he sits on the throne. But then this guy, Jeroboam, this, this sharp guy, comes out of the woodwork, and he splits the kingdom. And and Jeroboam gets 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, and Rehoboam gets two of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jeroboam goes to the north, Rehoboam goes to the south, and this goes on for about 500 years. And then we get to about 500 BC, and then there's captivity. Babylon and Assyria come and take God's people captive. They try to work their way back eventually, and there's about 400 years of silence. And then we get to year zero, and the great hero, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he comes. And the end of the era of the kings and captivity. Now, in this era of the kings, you have the two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom, Jeroboam. You have the southern kingdom, or Judah, the, the kingdom of the line of David, right? Jesus is called the Lion of Judah, right? And so the, the, the kingdom of, of Judah, right? David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Jesus. The northern kingdom has about 19 different kings throughout the stretch and about nine different families or nine different dynasties. They worshiped false gods. They exalted self, not Yahweh God. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, every single one of those kings. The, the southern kingdom the kingdom of promise, the kingdom of, of God through the line of David from which Jesus would come, had one family line, the line of David, had 20 different kings. And of those 20 different kings, only eight of them were good. So 31 of the 39 dropped the ball. Of all 39 kings, 31 dropped the ball. But you have eight who actually did what they were supposed to do, and that is represent to the people the coming king of kings and lord of lords who is Jesus. And so what God does because of their rebellion, because of their sin, is he sends judgment upon them. The northern kingdom through the Assyrians, the southern kingdom through the Babylonians. Judgment for their sin. But there were eight who would reflect Christ, all from Judah, and one of the eight is this guy, Josiah. This is where Josiah fits in. Now, about 340 years prior to Josiah's birth, during that early division of Jeroboam and, and Rehoboam, there was this boy king Josiah who was prophesied about, and that is the Josiah that we look at today, 340 years prior. Now, listen to this prophecy, if you can. In, in 1 Kings chapter 13, Jeroboam to the north had just built two golden Calves. Now, now he was worried that the people from the north would head down south to Jerusalem to worship the, the Lord, and it would totally mess up his kingdom, his situation. And so he created a, a new worship system. He says, okay, here's two cows. 
What an idiot, right? But kind of genius at the same time. We don't want them going down there. We don't want them worshiping down there. And so bow to these golden calves. Now God says, this is, this is ridiculous. And so what he does is he sends a prophet to Jeroboam. And here's the, the prophecy, 1 Kings 13, 2 through 3. The prophecy to Jeroboam says, And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, Here's the prophecy, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priest of the high places who made offerings on, uh, on you. And human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign that same day saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. So what is the prophecy that we read about here, 1 Kings 13? The, the, the prophet tells Jeroboam that God is going to raise up this son from Judah. His name will be Josiah. That's pretty specific. His name's going to be Josiah. And he's going to tear all this garbage down. He's going to tear it down. And he's actually going to burn the bones of the wicked. And that's exactly what we will read happens. And, and this prophecy is given at the very beginning of, of the kings, and Josiah is one of the last of the kings. His grandfather, uh, Manasseh, not the tribe in the north, but his grandfather, Manasseh, was a wicked man, including child sacrifice to the god Molech. This is, these are the people of God. He was a wicked man. Josiah's father was Ammon, and he was wicked just like his father, Manasseh. In fact, Manasseh, uh, let me read to you 2 Kings 21, 11 through 16 about Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather. It says this. It says, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all the Amorites did who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become a prey to the spoil to all their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. And so judgment comes upon Judah, upon God's people, because Manasseh led the people to some wicked, terrible sin like they had never seen before. That's just judgment. And then his son Ammon was a mess as well, so much so that his servants rise up and they kill Ammon, right? leaving them with this young little guy, Josiah, at the age of eight to take the throne. Now, I imagine that the servants who killed his father for his wickedness were probably still kind of running the show very much in control at this point. But as we read, we find that Josiah doesn't turn out like dad. He doesn't turn out like Granddad, he turns out like great, 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 granddad, David, a man after God's heart. Now, his story is recorded here in, in 2 Kings 22. It's also recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. First and 2 Kings will 
uh, talk about both the northern and the southern kingdom. And, and First and Second Chronicles follow only the southern kingdom and only talk about the northern kingdom in as much as the, the northern kingdom has direct impact on the southern kingdom. But we're going to look at Second Kings throughout this series together, just looking at the life of Josiah. So let's read verses 1 and 2. 2 Kings 22, 1 and 2. It says this, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And so his father is rightfully killed by his servants leaving him as an eight-year-old boy with the throne of David. Now, I have an eight-year-old. And some of you know my eight-year-old. Can you picture him up here with a scepter and his Star Wars t-shirt running the, the show? I imagine that these servants who killed his father were, in fact, kind of running things for quite some time. But we do see that for from a very young age, this guy starts to do what was right. Not swaying from the right or to the left, but just really sought to honor the Lord. He was the child of, of prophecy. And God in his divine wisdom knew that it was time that the people needed a good king on the throne who would honor God like his father David, not like his fathers immediately before him. Second Chronicles will tell us that, that, that in the, the eighth year of his reign he began to seek after the God of his father, David. So he's how old then? So he was eight when he began to reign. In the eighth year of his reign, you can do the math, 16 years old, he begins to seek out the, the truth. Now, Jeremiah 29, 13 will tell us, it's a great promise of God. It says that if you will seek me, you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart. And the story of this guy is a real good picture of what it looks like for someone to seek God with all of their heart and then end up finding God, finding his truth. And and so some of you, I know your stories, and and some of you have come to faith in Jesus, not because you mindlessly bought into this, but because you said, I want to find truth. I want to seek it. I want to press in hard. And God said, "And, and let me fulfill that promise. Here it is. And he made it abundantly clear to you He answered your questions. Others of you, you're here and you have questions. Listen, this is a safe place to have questions. Don't ever think that coming to the church of of Jesus is a place where you can't ask questions. You, You can and you should ask questions. And we will embrace your questions. And we will give you time to wrestle with your questions. You will seek God and find God if you search for him with most of your heart. No, no, if you, if you seek him with all of your heart, God wants to answer your questions. I, I believe that the Bible has, has answers. So many people, they'll, they'll read through the Bible or they'll start and, and they'll have something that rubs them wrong and they'll say, I'm done. No, that's not the time to run away. When you have a struggle or a question, you don't run away. What do you do? You press in deeper because he says, I will answer your questions. And, and then 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3, uh, the other account says this. It says, in the 12th year, 
he, Josiah, began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the, the carved and metal images. He chopped down the altars of the Baals. He, he broke into pieces idols. He made dust of them. He, he scattered over the graves the dust of the idols. Uh, he even burned the, the, the bones of the priests who were uh, wicked and, and, and leading people astray. And he fulfills at this very young age, around 16, this 340-year-old prophecy, pouring out ashes, as it says, and, and burning bones, as it said. And, and when did he start all of this? In the 12th year of his reign. And so if he started reigning at 8, in the 12th year of his reign, he would be what? Be 20 years old. Now, in Israel, you're adult when you're 20 years old. You're an adult when you're 20 years old. So it seems as though his servants that killed his father were calling the shots. And then around 20 years old, Josiah becomes an adult and he says, all right, now I can get to business. Now we're going to make some things happen. He's been seeking God for four years now since he was 16. And he says, okay, I'm 20 now. It's time to get to business. I am not okay with this because God is not okay with this. And he starts to clean shop. Now look at 2 Kings 22. Now we'll go 3 through 7. It says, in the 18th year of King Josiah, now he's older, he's, he's older now, it says that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people and let it be given into the hands of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord and let them give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And then let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand for they shall or for they deal honestly. So, Josiah is 20, he starts cleaning up shop, and now he's, he's a little bit older now, and he's an adult, he, he's getting things happening, he's getting down to business. He calls his secretary, Shaphan, his assistant to him, and he says, I want you to go to the, the, the temple, and we're going to repair the temple. We're going to make this thing look good, we're going to start to honor God, right? It's been in disarray for quite some time, we're going to honor God. So he says, I want you to go to Hilkiah, the high priest at the, the temple. And I want him to take the money that has been contributed to the ministry and I want him to start to pay the subcontractors. Any subcontractors in here, various jobs? We like to get paid, right? So I want you to pay, finally pay them for, for their work. And they're actually going to step it up and really start to work now that they're starting to see s- some money. That's a good thing. And we're going we're gonna to repair the house of God. Now, Second Chronicles, in its account, will, will tell us that Josiah appoints the Levites as the foremen for the project. Now, the Levites, it says, it says this. It says the Levites who were skillful in music. So the Levites, particularly the ones who were instrumentalists. Now, is that strange? The foremen are going to be the, the musicians. So we bought a fixer-upper just a few, a, week, a few weeks ago. And uh, we have subcontractors in and out of my house like every day, it, it seems like. And can I be honest with you? I don't want to offend anybody if you went to Berkeley. But listen, if a Berkeley student comes to my house with skinny jeans on and, and Tom's and says, I'm the foreman, I'm a little bit nervous, right? I'm a little bit nervous, right? 
I want my foreman wearing some carpenter pants and some steel toe boots, right? Or at least a tool belt or, or, or something, right? I, I would trust that guy, right? Now, Josiah is clearly, he, he's doing something. Right? He, he's up to something, right? I believe that, that Josiah knew that the Levites were about the worship of God. And so they are going to prioritize. God is to be worshipped. We want to get this job done. So I know I'm a musician and and, I got got good fingers and I'm not swinging hammers necessarily. But I'll tell you what, we got to make sure this happens. We want to worship God. We long to play our instruments and to glorify God in this place uh, again. We want this temple to be inhabited with praise again because our God inhabits the praises of his people. And so God will be here clearly again. We start to worship him rightly again. And so these guys are saying, yes, I'll, I'll be the foreman. I'll run the thing. Let's, let's do this, right? The Levites had a, had a heart for the glory and the worship of God. It's never in the Bible about the external qualifications. It's always about the heart. That God is consumed with. In fact, with King David, when Solomon goes looking for the next great king of Israel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, 7, or when Samuel goes looking for the king of Israel, he says this. God says to him, Samuel, don't look for his outward appearance, his height, or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the, he looks at the heart. Right? And so, Josiah says, I'm going to find some people with a heart for God. Heart for the worship and the glory of of God. And we're going to get this thing going. And he gets the project underway. Renovations are starting to be made. Now read on verses 8 through 10. It says, And Hilkiah the high priest set the shape in the secretary. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house, and they have delivered it into the hands of the workmen who have the oversight over the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. So, renovations are starting to be made in the the house of God and, and the temple. And something amazing happens. I hope you didn't miss it. Something amazing happens. Hilkiah, the high priest, comes up to Josiah's right-hand man, his secretary, Shaphan. And he says, I have found the book. I found the the book of the law in the the house of, of the Lord. That is, I have found the Bible. The book of the law of Moses was there Bible, the first five books of the Old Testament. And and then Shaphan reads it. And then he brings it to Josiah. And then he reads it to Josiah. Now, we Americans say, well, what's the big deal? Found found a book? Well, for these people, they didn't have access to the Word of God like we have access to the Word of God. I mean, I could walk around my house, and I, I seriously, I could probably count about 20, at least 20 Bibles around my house. And right here in my pocket, I have my Bible on, on an app. And apparently, these people did not have access to the Word of God like we have access to the Word of God. There's a, a lot of details that we don't exactly know, but what we do know is that 
most of the copies had been destroyed. And and there's a few options as to, to what the scenario could have been. Either this copy of the word, the book that they had found, it was a scroll then, was the original copy from God to Moses. That's number one. Two, it, it could have been, maybe it wasn't the original, but it's the last remaining. Or three, it's, it's one of the few remaining copies of God's word. Now, I lean towards number one or number two because Josiah, for quite some time now, has been seeking the Lord. He's the most powerful man among his people. If our president wants something, all he's got to do is ask for it and he gets it, right? If he says, listen, I, I, I want a venti latte with cinnamon on top, quad shot, done, right? If he says, I need a little bit of research for a decision I got to make, done, right? If Josiah is seeking the Lord and he wants a copy of the word, if they're available out there, no matter even if there's four of them, they're going to get it for him, right? But he doesn't have it until right now. So I think it's probably... An original copy or one of the last few remaining or even known copies of the word. And it wasn't known until it was, it was found. It's just, just found this copy of the word of God. It was hidden somewhere in the, the temple, either on purpose by one of these unfaithful people of the past generations, all these wicked kings and wicked priests, or it was just simply lost because they didn't care to even read it. And then finally got found now. Now, as a, as a kid, the house that I grew up in had a cinder block basement. Uh, but the cinder blocks only needed to go about, you know, eye level. And then the rest was wood on top of that into the first floor and the second floor. And, and the cinder block from this part down, they were stacked on top of each other. And, and cinder blocks, you know, they had the two holes in them. And so as a kid, I, I would, uh, from time to time, I would, I would drop something cool inside of the hole and it would fall all the way down to the bottom to the, the foundation. That was just something I did as a kid. And I used to do so just thinking that someday somebody's going to find this stuff. And my house might crumble to the ground like the Roman Empire, and they're going to find this stuff, and they're going to learn about me. It's like a time capsule in my house, right? It's going to be so cool. And so like a, a, a Ken Griffey baseball card at the bottom. Now I'm like, that was so stupid. <laughs> worth a lot of money. I could pay my mortgage. Or like a note from my, my very first girl. Her name was Heaven. That's right. My very first crush, her name was Heaven, and she was heavenly. And I dropped it down there so that somebody someday could say, wow, this boy had a girl named Heaven. It was poetical. I mean, that's essentially what happened here, right? Somehow the, the book, the word of God, got hidden away in the temple. And it wasn't until it started crumbling and they started doing some renovations that they find the book appears, I don't know, behind a wall or in a hole or under a stone. I don't know, but it appears. And Hilkiah says, I found the book. I found the book. It's right here. We, got, we have the book now. It speaks to the indestructibility of the word of God, doesn't it? I mean, throughout the ages, how many kings and kingdoms and world leaders have tried to destroy the book? But the book will not be destroyed until we're with him all together, face to face. The book will not be destroyed. The, the word of the Lord is eternal. It stands forever, right? 
They can try, but to no avail. This book is indestructible. Why? 1 Peter 1, 25, the word of the Lord endures forever. And the words of Hilkiah in verse 8 have really been ringing in my heart for a couple years. I've just been really longing to teach the story of Josiah to you. The words of Hilkiah they just say, I have found the book. I wish we could all, at excitement, say, I have found the book. I've got the book. I mean, the book. With great excitement, great sense of the value of what we're holding in our hands or maybe in our pockets or maybe on our coffee table. We need to dust it off. I have found a book. I have a Bible in nearly every room of my house. My coffee table. I wish I could just, with that kind of excitement, just walk into my living room and go, I found the book. And then go into my, my office and there's, there's one right there. I found another book. And then I open up my cell phone and I'm scrolling to play Angry Birds and no, there's an app. I got the book, right? And then I go to my nightstand and there's another one. I found the book. There's all kinds of books. This is a huge deal. I've got a copy of God's word, the word of God in my pocket, on my desk, on my coffee table, in my car even. Yeah, right by the jumper cables in case I ever break down. I, got something to do that's important and of value, right? I found the book. Now, what is the obvious thing that they each did when they found the book? They found the book, and it says that they, they read it. They read the book, right? Yeah, we have a lot of books. We've got a lot of copies of the scriptures, but do we read it? Do we really see it for as valuable as it actually is? It's the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And now it's recorded for us in a book. And in the life of Jesus, we've got the Word at our fingertips. We've got the presence and the the words of God for us right in in front of us, it's a tremendous privilege. And the obvious thing we do when we see the book, when we have the book, when we get the weight, the fact that we have the book, is we don't just say, praise God, cool, and walk off. We read the book, right? So, Hilkiah brings it to Shaphan, who reads it. That's the obvious thing you do with the book. You read it, right? Shaphan brings it to Josiah. And I don't know, because of his privilege, he doesn't have to read it. But Shaphan reads it to him, right? Do you read the book? Now, be honest with yourself. No point in lying to yourself right now. It's going to do you no good to lie to yourself. Do you read the book? Ask yourself, right, do I read this book? Not have I ever read this book, but do I read this book? Is this book all, all, all up in my life? It's living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword and it, it pierces as far as the division of joints and marrow. It, it's, it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I mean, this is the word of God. This is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. This living and active word gets all inside of our hearts and it starts to move. And it's sharper than a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's like a surgeon's scalpel. Gets in there and does some stuff that can be painful. But it's only for your healing, right? Gotta read the book. God has made himself known to you in these words. I'll never forget when I first came to know the Lord, when Jesus really gripped my heart. 
I'll never forget that night. I remember coming home, and I, my bedroom still had bunk beds. I remember jumping on the top bunk and reading the book. I just, there was this hunger. I just got it. Wow. I responded to the Lord, much like Josiah responded to the Lord and the truth of the, of the Word of God. But then I wanted to know more. I wanted to grow closer to him. And it's, it's something that, that, that many of you could say, that was my story, right? If you become one with God, as he says, I and you and you and me, you just, you got to know him more, right? You ever fallen in love with somebody? I love you with all of my heart, but I can't spend time with you for about a month. So I'm just busy. Of course not. You're going to make any kind of sacrifice you can to be with the person you love, Right? How many of us say, I love the Lord? We don't make any sacrifice to have the word of God read us and us it. I've been praying hard this week that that God would give us this. Pray that he would would give us this. Now, let's, let's read to the very end of our section for today, 11 through 13. It says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Hayakim the son of Shaphan and Achor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of God that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Go find out more. But the first thing that he does is what? He straight up tears his clothes off. <laughs> Just, and that was a sign in the scriptures of, of, of deep brokenness and repentance and humility and, and mourning. My parents have not been teaching me the word of God. Generations have not heard the word of God. Our family line has been leading this thing. And we don't even know the word of God. We haven't been living by the book. And it broke him to the point that he just takes his clothes and just rips them. He's absolutely broken. Psalm chapter 51, 17 says, A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In other words, you love it. God loves this kind of heart. That when the word of God comes up against your life, you're broken. So don't lie to yourself to protect yourself, as we like to do. But let the the truth come up against your life right now. And even if it means breaking you because you realize, I have not been living by the book. Trust me, it's for your healing. Trust me, it's for your good. Why was Josiah greater than the other kings? Was it because he was so bad and he became so good? He wasn't really crazy bad on the outside. He's a pretty good boy. Was it because he affected great change? No. Keep reading the story. He changes a lot of things, but it just goes south again really, really fast. Josiah was greater than the other kings. Why? Because when the word of God came up against his life, he allowed it to move him. And he turned according to that word. He let the word change him. And this is what we deeply need. 
We deeply need this book to grip our hearts. And the only way for this to start to happen is for us to start to read it and start to hear it and start to get it in our lives. Church, we must be a people of the book. We must be. I want you to leave the day with a newfound commitment to getting into the book. And we're going to talk a lot more about the book, but can we just start with a commitment? I'm going to read it. I'm going to try to live it out. Got to read the book. And then he goes on to inquire, okay, now how do we live this out? God? It starts with reading. Opening the book. Now, some of us right now, God is giving you a a broken and contrite heart, even in this, this moment. And you're having a sense of just how far you are from God. And that is a very good thing. That is the Spirit of God stirring in your heart. And you're realizing your brokenness. And you're realizing your sin. And that is the first step towards healing, towards restoration. So let me tell you about this perfect king that comes after this line of terrible kings. And his name is Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he enters into this world. He's God who takes on flesh. He dwells among us. He lives in your mess. But he, unlike every single one of us and every person who's ever lived, he never sinned. He's undeserving of the wages of sin, which is death. And yet he dies. He lays down his life on a cross for you and for me. And Josiah is merely just a taste of the great King Jesus. And the other seven are just a taste of the great King Jesus. And he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That though you are broken, you can be made new and right and restored. It's what we call the gospel. And so some of you right now, as the word of God is coming up against your heart and your life right now, you're starting to feel a little bit of that brokenness. You're starting to feel the tension. And you have an opportunity right now to tear your clothes, so to speak, in your heart. That is to say, yes, God, I'm so far from you. But you have come to me. And you have given me a new start in your son, Jesus. And you can say yes to Jesus. And so two things today as we close. Some of us need to say yes to Jesus. We need to call upon the name of the Lord. And we need to be saved. And some of us in here, we need to say, you know what? got to read the word. I love him. Why am I not spending time with him? I'm not seeking to be with him. Wherever you're at today, I want to call you to take some steps, some real steps forward. So I'm going to pray to that end. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. By your words, we can live. Should we hear them and respond with a humble heart. And so God, as people are being stirred right now, may they not puff up with pride, not get defensive, not not say, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want the pain that comes with turning. But God, may they say yes to you. Those who don't know Jesus today, may they call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Turn from sin, turn to him. 
and receive that new life that you give them. And God, for those who know Jesus, but this book is not something they're really living by. God, work in their hearts. Give them the great hunger. Because it only comes from you. How many times I've tried and tried and tried. And we just need you. Please, God, initiate that in our hearts like you did with this elect son of God, Josiah. We love you. We thank you that you meet us here. Be glorified as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.